Hello and welcome to Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World, where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they're doing it. Performance marketing is all about attention. It's the currency that is traded between consumers and advertisers, whether it's seconds on a screen or clicks on a link. So if you're not an attention seeker, you're not doing it right. I'm Lucy Shelley, junior reporter at PMW and your host for Attention Seekers. Today I am joined by the fantastic Tom Ollerton, founder of Automated Creative, a MarTech platform that uses artificial intelligence to deliver performance and insight for social media and display advertising, as well as he is a fellow podcast host of the Advertisers Watching Ads podcast and Shiny New Object. Hi Tom, thanks for being this week's attention seeker. How are you doing? I'm really good. And I had no idea that you did your intro uh, differently every week. I assume that was pre-recorded. So congratulations on doing the uh, <laughs> the intro of the podcast live every week. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, I'm not going to be super energetic one day and then you can hear my voice dip as I'm tired. <laughs> so it's, it's to keep it uh, continued throughout. Would you mind introducing yourselves to our attention seekers listeners and telling us a bit about yourself and what you do at Automated Creative? I'm the founder of Automated Creative and we are an ad tech platform and what we do is help brands stop guessing and start growing. And the way we do that is a kind of unusual and clever combination of performance marketing and market research, which are two things that should have never have come together, but they do. Uh, So we essentially turn the impressions that brands buy into intelligence. And the way that we do that is by producing lots of ads that optimize uh, over time. And then we look at all of the data from those ads to see why those ads are working. So we're essentially trying to remove the, the guesswork and chin scratching from advertising by making lots of ads and optimizing them over time and learning from them, which is really weird, but it works for the life of likes of Puma, GSK, Reckitt, Mars, Pet Care, Bose, um, Diageo, uh, to name but a few. So, and the idea for the the business came from the fact that we all used to work at agencies and we fell in love with automation and the way that it was being used to do all the creative things that the agency were doing. So we thought, well, why don't we go and build that thing and see if we can make it work? And uh, four or five years in, I guess we are. Well, I love that phrase you mentioned at the beginning. What is it? Stop guessing, start getting. Was that what you said? Stop guessing, start growing. Start growing, start growing. No, I love that because I do think a lot of performance marketing is very uh, mysterious, nondescript part of marketing and people need to kind of understand it a bit more. So yeah, the stop guessing, I, I, I do like that part and hopefully we're going to um, unpack some of that later on in this podcast. But we want to get to know you a bit more uh, as this week's attention seeker. So what has been getting your attention recently? Would you mind telling me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I just noticed the, an article come up on LinkedIn, actually, probably more 45 minutes ago, um, talking about uh, Facebook's intentions for NFTs and Instagram. Now, I've got a massive amount of fondness for NFTs because in, in a previous life, I was a musician, uh, not a very good one, and a comedian, a terrible one. Um, and the opportunities that were made available to musicians when I was one kind of 20 years ago was either you had got a massive record deal, 
could be a highly paid session musician or you could play in a pub or you could be a busker or you could be a music teacher you know so there's this there's a limit to all the things you could do whereas i love the way that bands are minting their albums as, as nfts or their kings of leon leon uh, did it um and snoop dogs got in there and got involved and the idea that lucy if you and i were in a band we could build a following release an album and as a as an nft and then sell that nft but then also get paid whenever that any time that album was was resold and that whole idea that musicians and creators can use M- nfts in that way if it becomes possible and a little bit more mainstream i think it's brilliant for the creative community and the idea that facebook are getting behind nfts and they're in a position where they can be like co-shared on on instagram and stuff i think it's really exciting for the creative community so that's definitely caught my attention i know it's great to hear you talk about nfts in such a positive light actually because we have had some guests in this podcast that aren't such a fan yet or maybe don't really like where they're going but uh, explain to me quickly about the um musicians and artists using the nfts to sell their albums do they sell just the artwork or is it the music itself as well that can become non-fungible so excuse my terrible understanding and maths but the way that i see it is that you say what we're going to release 100 nfts of, of this album you know that are all numbered and owned and that becomes attributable to you on the blockchain and you sell those for a certain price so you get paid for those i'm actually for our band lucy let's call it the let's call them the attention seekers for argument's sake i mean, i've seen <laughs> like a million we release a million nfts i don't know if that number is even possible but um we could say oh they're all gonna be a fiver or all seven quid or tenner or whatever it is but all of that money comes to us pretty much other than your sort of minting mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. nftness that happens on the side but then what we're also able to do if, if one of our fans decides to sell that nft then they get the money for that nft but we also get paid and then if that person sells it and th- so there's an ongoing chain that it all comes back to us there's no record label we've already built our massive following via our attention seekers podcast massive following yeah. so, sorry I'm, I'm i'm making this far more complicated than it than it needs to be <laughs> but that is a way that nfts can be used so artists can cut out the label cut out the middleman if you can prove you can get an audience get attention then you can use nfts to potentially resell your artwork be it music be it poetry be it whatever it's a new way of doing that um, that kind of frees up the artist to make money directly from their fans i'm looking forward to our band what you mentioned you're a musician what or did you play um well i was i was the front man i was the attention seeker obviously (gasps) Oh, you, you were the yeah, you were the proper attention seeker. I've always fancied myself as a drummer. I've never drummed, but right. I'd love to be one. There's there's still there's still time. No, I I have this thing that that sort of coming out of being in a band and, and working in this business that like all all bands are salespeople. They're all performance marketers, right? You know, you every single is there to try and get someone to find out more go to the spotify play page follow or buy an album or buy a ticket like every every single is its own performance marketing advert in its in its own right there's one thing that i quite like uh, surprising people about is telling them they're a performance marketer when they don't think they are i mean i've had a few people and they say oh no but I'm, i don't feel like i am a performance marketer i was like but are you are you are you measuring the success of what you're doing and is that giving exact uh, you know attributed value towards that and they go oh yeah maybe i am well, I think that some people in the industry see them see themselves as artists, right? 
you know, so they, they, they could have been a musician or a comedian and failed at that. And so then they sort of become a creative and they don't like to see themselves as performance marketers or salespeople when, in fact, they are. But I think that the performance side of the industry and the sales side of the industry is is the most exciting because of its psychological complexity. Uh, and I think that the uh, more creative, fluffy end of the industry uh, gets too much praise for being too much like artists. Whereas I think some of the talent that's really exciting to me um, is, is it more in the performance part of the funnel Mm, absolutely can you tell us uh what cookies could tell about you that you'd probably rather they didn't know so being a musician or ex-musician i am really interested in how music is made and one of my sort of late night things to do when i should really go to bed is to do searches for isolated tracks so an isolated track is where you hear just one specific part of a track. So if anyone is into soul, I would definitely suggest you do a search for Marvin Gaye, Grapevine, Isolated. And it's Marvin Gaye singing, I heard it through the Grapevine, totally unaccompanied. And it looks like he's live on a, some kind of music show. And it is the most chilling, the most exciting, the most beautiful vocal rendition of that song that every time I see it it's just my that's the best video on the internet nothing has ever made me feel more excited and alive than watching Marvin Gaye sing that song it's beautiful to me and and then other examples but really nerdy things like listening to the isolated drum part for the Stone Roses Love Spreads so I could just hear the whole rest of the song in my head while just listening to the drums which is so ridiculously nerdy and niche but yes uh, the um, yeah, the cookies would definitely be serving me up those kind of things, and I'm ashamed. I'm a proud, probably a mix of both. Oh, I think you should be hugely proud. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Marvin Gaye myself, so I would I'd love to be uh, getting the rewards from your cookie searching and getting all your kind of targeted ads from that. I mean, what a, a great selection you must be getting. That must be something that you'd rather do, they did know, perhaps. Well, I thought it was more wouldn't want other people to know. I'm more than happy to be served up isolated tracks. <laughs> As we know, performance marketing is, uh, it, it's all about ratings. And so I'd like you to bring something that you think is overrated and something that you think is underrated in the industry. So shall we start with what gets too much attention? What, what do you think is overrated? Well, I've given Meta a bump today saying that I think their NFT plans are good. Uh, but my overrated thing absolutely has to be the metaverse I think that as an industry, we are drawn to the shiny new objects. Uh, I think that marketing science, I guess you call it all, or marketing academics have proved that the, the repetition of messages over time regularly drives brand uplift. You know, whether it's um, reading how brands grow or Bennett and Field or wherever you sit, but that has kind of largely been proved over time that repetition of key points of difference over time just delivers. Whereas there are lots of businesses trying to make value for themselves by disrupting that, of which we are one, and I'll tie these back together at, at, at some point. Um, but so what we do is we, we get distracted by the new because you know performance marketing world has to write headlines and if it's just like well just do what always works isn't isn't a headline so what we what we need as as a industry is to kind of constantly entertain ourselves so that's why we get distracted by 
these new things like NFTs, for example. It's this kind of unproven how that's going to work in marketing. Um, and I think what Facebook have done is realize that ultimately they don't own the end device. So when Apple moved the goalposts, that has a ginormous impact on Facebook. So we've seen them, uh, we've seen them release the or buy Oculus to try and own an like a, an end device. And oh, I can never remember the name. What's the thing you clip on top of your telly that you can do video calls? Sort of zoom through Facebook. I can't even remember what it's called. That's that hasn't landed, obviously. So what they're trying to do is have a device in the home that they can control as well as the content on it. And so obviously they've made this huge investment in Oculus, or don't think it's called Oculus anymore. And what they want to do is to sell this idea that, that we will all live in this kind of metaverse and they're in the right place to deliver that headset, which is kind of cool. But really the metaverse for me just means the internet. So, for example, if someone's playing Call of Duty on the mobile or on a on a desktop or whatever it is, you know, you've got a kind of a character. You can change their skins, their appearance, and I'll give it a different name. You're technically in the metaverse. Technically, this video call we're having now is in the metaverse because you're a bit blurred out. Uh, we're, we've created a digital representation of ourselves for the purpose of this call it's in the metaverse. So it, there's just so many examples of things which are, oh, that's in the metaverse that eventually it just kind of rounds rounds up to, oh, it's just the internet. And I really see this as Facebook saying that there's this thing called the metaverse that ex- that's existed and the industry needs to get excited about shiny new things. So they've jumped on it. So there's agencies all over the land producing metaverse decks and what the brands should do about them. When in actual fact, it's just the internet and a kind of all Facebook have done is, is draw a line around this thing and called it the metaverse and decide to own it because it very nicely ties in with the product that they own, aka Oculus. Mm-hmm. And do you think uh, then at this at this stage that we're at with the metaverse that uh, marketers, advertisers should be kind of holding back, watching and waiting to see where it's going to go? Or do you think because it's not entirely competitive yet in the metaverse that people should be jumping on it right now? What would you what advice would you give at the moment? So the my with my old kind of innovation director hat on, uh, what all innovation directors don't want you to know is that they're looking for PR off the back of it basically. So if you can be the first to do X, Y, or Z, like back in the day, we did the first uh, Domino's uh, voice skill that you could order a pizza through. And I was, I was like, absolute home run because you've got tons and tons of press off the off the back of it. Um, so if brands want to get PR, if they want to be, if they want to do a first or a second or a third, they'll, you know, they will get their media value that way round. But to make it as powerful as a, a proven platform like uh, like standard Facebook or Instagram and being able to kind of prove a performance ROI, then I think I'd, if I were a brand, I'd be sitting well back on the metaverse and, and watching other brands rush in, pick up the PR, sure, but really be understanding what is the value that brands can bring to consumers in the metaverse, which is exactly the same question they should be asking on every new platform. What is the value we create? How do we measure our own ROI that we get off the back of it? And so we've heard what you think is overrated, but what is it that you think is underrated that should be getting more attention in the industry? I think work-life balance is massively underrated. I grew up in this industry very much in a a culture in in various different places and all the agencies I worked in where work 
if you talked about work-life balance, everyone thought you were talking about some kind of weird utopia. Uh, but in startup land, really, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And what I have to do and what the team has to do is to work hard to protect that work-life balance. Uh, so we do things like we have n- no meetings on a Friday. Uh, obviously, if it has to happen, it happens. But generally speaking, yeah, yeah. we'll turn down 99% of all meetings and that gives everyone just that breath of fresh air. Obviously, everyone still has to work. And uh, during the summer, we do summer hours like like everyone else. But it's like, what are the smart, clever things you can do to respect each other's time? You know, one of our core beliefs is family first. And if you look after your family, and that could be a child or a dog or a whoever like if that relationship is strong if that relationship is balanced then you're much more likely to be together mentally in a really good place to do really good work and I think that too many built businesses are built on the idea that people get really rich at the top and everyone else has to burn themselves out at the bottom and I think that with everything we've learned about mental health over the last few years that I think work-life balance should be celebrated and promoted more than it is. No, I think that's completely, yeah, so true and really important because, yeah, if you're if you're happy at home, you can bring that kind of energy and enthusiasm to your to the workplace. And I'm, I'm, would you say that's become even more important since the pandemic? Since we've had time working from home, coming back to work, the work life balance probably is more important than it was before. Yeah, well, I think it exists, doesn't it? Like we we have that facility to be able to move between the office and home. And one of our another one of our things is you choose your place to do your best work. You know, if you need to come in and be around people and have those kind of meetings and interactions, then yeah, great, do it. But if you need to sit at home in bed in your pajamas and do a deck all day, then do that. So it, we believe in trust and really trusting our employees to choose the right place and the right method for doing the right job at the right time. As our attention seeker this week, you are also our performer and we want to know about your your best practice, the most exciting project that you've worked on and how you got other people's attention. So a bit of work that we're really proud of is our relationship with Reckitt. Uh, who were Reckitt Bankiza uh, when we first started out with them, getting on for like four years ago. And we've worked across a whole bunch of projects with those guys. So um, we've worked uh, across the like of Enfamil, Vanish, Finish, Neurofend for Children, Durex. Um, and we've worked in several different markets, uh, all the way through the funnel, uh, different types of campaigns. And I can tell you about one specific project. So what we were trying to do uh, was drive enrollments in a, uh, a CRM program. Uh, so the, that was the conversion uh, for Enfamil, which is Reckitt's infant formula product. And we tested a really huge range of different visual and written psychological triggers to try and get that get that attention but also drive performance and we were able to prove that the best thing that you could put in an ad targeted at a mom was in fact a dad and this is something that's kind of very common in our work is that we help brands move away from what uh, I guess the industry would call best practice Uh, best practice at my school was called copying and I think there's too much best practice copying because if everyone's copying each other then no one's marketing Uh, so because marketing is the practice of standing out from the market so if everyone's copying best practice then it becomes homogenous and and things stop resonating and it was so interesting that our our client said that um, oh 
before we worked with you guys, uh, we just would use dynamic creative optimization and we'd give them a few images and a few copy lines and they would come up with the least worst combination of those ads. Whereas what you've done is brought a creative and strategic mindset to dynamic creative technology and help us testing test something that we would never have tested before, which was dads. So not only did that drive the performance, but what it also creates is an incredible creative brief. So there's something about dads that work in these markets that is like an absolute dynamite brief to a creative. So what the, the work that I'm really proud of that work is because we've managed to close the loop between uh, creative and media and performance. I, so I, I understand what you're saying that, um, you know, copying is, is not the best method, but a tried and tested method can also prove results. No, surely uh, a bit like social media, how a kind of a copying of how other people do things can create trends and create results from that method. I think it, it's sensible to copy things that work. Like, for example, uh, if it's a performance campaign, you might see that most of your competitors kind of run static ads as opposed to long form video, for example. So copying that kind of kind of makes sense. But then if everyone in those ads are featuring the the product in a very similar visual way or using a very similar written style, then ultimately the performance will start to wane. And yes, it is tried and tested, but ultimately uh, consumers are either going to click on that ad or not or view it or not. Whereas what we what we really believe is it's about taking the core creative campaign position and spinning it in lots of different ways using automation so that we can start to dial dial in over time about what is actually driving performance of those ads. Another thing about uh, tried and tested is that the unfortunate thing about data science is it's all based on data from the past. There's no data about the future. Uh, so what we believe is, yes, take a strong steer from the past using data and use that to inform your decisions. But actually, the most important data you can get on your customers is about what they are reacting to now. Because advertising is really context sensitive. So, for example, if you see an advert for mcdonald's for example um and you've just been watching a documentary about veganism on netflix then you're going to feel differently about that whereas if you've had a boozy lunch and you know on the way home you might you might think that mcdonald's ad is kind of really appealing um so what matters most to for advertising is the context within which those ads are being seen and that is an in the moment thing so sure there's Tons of tried and tested things that make sense to do to begin with, but you need a technology, you need a system in place to be able to change those ads to make sure they're as, as resonant as possible within the context within which they're being served. No, no, absolutely. Thanks for clarifying that because, yeah, it, you've got to almost uh, uh, be ahead of the curve and you've got to know what they're going to want to want, if you almost see what I mean. I, th I think you need to put yourself in a position to be able to give them what they want at a moment's notice. And I think that is one of the things that's broken about advertising, that brands will look to a, a supplier to help them understand the audience and, uh, and speak the voice of the audience and then come up with an idea that re represents that voice of the audience and then put it live and then optimize the media as much as possible. Whereas if that audience doesn't respond to that thing, the brand needs to be in a position to be able to change that ad in the moment to make sure that it can drive the the efficiency and effectiveness of that campaign by being reactive. And that's ultimately 
what our business is, is it allows brands to be fluid in the moment. So they can, as I said at the start, stop guessing about what, what works and actually grow the brand through optimizing their ads as as they appear in media. And we've spoken a bit about your attention seeking in terms of your music, but can you recall a time that you've done something completely unnecessary or maybe even entirely necessary for attention? I think it's the other way around for me, really, trying to find a time when I wasn't trying to attract attention, um, which is embarrassing now I say it. Um, yeah, I've, I've always tried to do stuff on stage. Been, I love performing. Uh, but I think most recently, as, as you mentioned, I, when I set up Automated Creative, I was going from being a innovation director at We Are Social, which meant knowing a little about a lot to setting up a performance business which is very, very niche. And I, I didn't want to lose that like generalist view. So what I did is set up the Shiny Object podcast to interview people about their vision for the future of the industry. So I think we've done 180 episodes or something like that. We've had uh, Sir Martin Sorrell, Rory Sutherland, um, Joe D'Angelo, who's Global Head of Media for P&G, um, you know, some incredibly senior figures in the industry, uh, just talking about what their vision of the future is. So I the purpose of that podcast was obviously to learn and to create content, but obviously to attract attention as well. And that's been a, a real highlight. And then more latterly, I set up a show called Advertisers Watching Ads, which is like Gogglebox, but for advertising. Uh, so we get three or four brands every week to come on and review someone else's ads. And that's recorded as a Zoom call and that goes out every Wednesday. Uh, so yes, two very, very attention-based activities that I'm very proud of and enjoy tremendously because of the talent I get to work with. Yeah, no, they're fantastic and they're great fun. I love the uh, advertisers watching ads because you're right, it's such a kind of a weird meta goggle box kind of version, but it works and it's fantastic and it is a lot of fun. Well, you have to come on the show, Lucy. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm there. I mean, I'm not an advertiser, but I'm there for sure. We have now moved to the final section of our podcast, which is always my favourite section because it's all about getting my attention. And then this is the resell me a pen section. So we have chosen for you an old fashioned, outdated item that we would, we would like you to remarket to today's world and ideally with the performance marketing strategy. And we have given you the phone book, the yellow pages, that huge clunky thing that most people now use as a doorstop. But we would like you to remarket that to today's audience. And I will be grading you, so please do try your hardest. <laughs> when you're ready, off you go. Well, you're a classic client there. You've changed the brief. You said the phone book, and then you said phone book or the yellow pages, which is two very different things. So I'm, I'm going to take your original brief, which you sent, is, which is phone books. And <laughs> okay, I can try and do okay, yellow yeah. pages on the fly, but they would probably be awful. So the great thing about phone books is they are actually a time machine. Phone books are really useful for pinpointing individuals in a particular place and time in history. So the other way of doing that is the census, which are conducted about every 10 years. But phone books were published, I think, some one to two years, creating a kind of almost year by year record of different individuals, geographic locations and movements. And this kind of makes it possible to locate people between census years especially to find family members so if anyone's out there doing the whole sort of ancestry thing then phone books could really support that and 
interestingly, phone books are also very telling of an individual's economic status because to have a phone at a certain point in history, you had to have a certain amount of money. So actually, it's a, a an interesting way of, of tracking uh, like economic value over time. Um, the really cool thing is that you could actually also use phone books to track down if your house has ever had any famous or infamous residents. So... I don't know if you're interested in investigating your family history, Lucy, but I would say that the phone book is an invaluable time machine and allowing you to do this. Oh, no, I love that. I think that's really interesting. It's a it's a log, isn't it? You've got all this data harvested within the phone book. Um, yeah, sorry for throwing you off there, like uh, giving you a client flashback by changing <laughs> your brief result. So I apologise for that. OK, it's, it's time for your grading. I was really impressed with that, actually. I'm The geographical locations, the economic status, you're really ticking all the boxes there for finding out all these kind of uh, audience data points that we are looking for. And so for that reason, I'm, go- I'm going to give this... I'm going to give this a nine. Oh. You know, a, n- a nine out wow. of ten. I'm, I'm pretty Very pleased. Very kind. Very generous. Thank you, Lucy. Well, not at all. I hope that has made your day, if not your week. That's a, it's a pretty big uh, accolade. <laughs> Well, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for coming on, Tom. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. If you want to find out more about the news and trends from global brands, agencies and platforms in the performance marketing industry, register with us on our website at performancemarketingworld.com. And don't forget to look out on our socials, which are linked on the site and in this episode's description, to send in suggestions for next time's Resell Me a Pen Challenge. Thank you all for listening, and I look forward for you to join me next time. 